me in Genesis chapter 26. Genesis chapter 26. And I want to address the subject this morning, after your Abraham dies. Have you ever had an Abraham in your life? I've had some, and for the last uh, 18 years or so, I've been losing them. There's some great preachers that have been a tremendous model to me and those my age and uh, some a little younger, but they began passing away about 18 years ago. Ron Dunn happened to be one of those, and Ron Dunn knew how to deal with sorrow and see uh, God's Word and its application to that. Uh, Ron has got a number of messages online that you can look those up, and he's written a number of books that are very effective and very helpful, but Ron was just very real and very capable as a preacher. And then there was Dr. Criswell, W.A. Criswell, who, when uh, he spoke, uh, heaven came to visit the crowd and congregation. I think with one message, Dr. Criswell single-handedly turned Southern Baptists back to their historic faith and commitment to the inerrancy of the Word of God in his, his uh, pastor's conference sermon in Dallas, Texas in 1985. And then, of course, there was Adrian Rogers. Uh, Adrian Rogers uh, spoke, and when, you thought, uh, Adri- when Adrian Rogers spoke, you thought God was speaking. Uh, in fact, uh, you can hear uh, Dr. Rogers even today, now almost 15 years after his death, still speaking and preaching in his ministry, Love Worth Finding. I will tell you that one pastor uh, said that uh, the first time he heard Adrian Rogers speak, he wanted to slit his own throat. And the second time, he wanted to slit Adrian's throat <laughs> uh, because his church people were comparing him to Adrian Rogers and giving him fits over it. Well, folks, there was only one Adrian Rogers. Nobody can be Adrian Rogers, but Adrian Rogers. Uh, And then uh, John Bazzano passed away uh, a few months ago. I think John Bazzano is probably my favorite pastor and preacher, so encouraging. And as the years went on, John Bazzano was the kind to constantly say yes to his young young people and his young staff, Uh, constantly promoted them and strengthened them and stayed on the cutting edge even till the age of 80, and he passed away soon after. He's a powerful, great model. And um, then, of course, uh, the whole world has suffered tremendous loss with the loss of Dr. Billy Graham, who kept the gospel in focus and took advantage of every technological development that came up and was one of the first to use them in the Christian faith. But, you know, others of you have lost some that are uh, Abrahams to you. Uh, some of you have lost spouses to, to death. You, you've lost an Abraham. Uh, some of you have lost parents. I mean, literally, you're Abraham, a father or mother has passed on. Uh, some, some of you, uh, and Abraham may not necessarily be a person, it may be a dream. I remember when I was a junior in high school, I lost an Abraham, and that was the dream of being a professional baseball player, because frankly, I wasn't good enough, and that's putting it nicely. I really stunk, and um, it wasn't quite that bad, but uh, I, I wasn't going to go beyond high school and play uh, any baseball. And that was, that was heartbreaking. That was something I had dreamed of since I was about seven years old and had given myself to it. But some of you have suffered the loss of dreams as well. Uh, some of you have soft, suffered jobs that defined you real well. I mean, you enjoyed it. You enjoyed that kind of work and that kind of life. Some of you have lost marriages, and that was an Abraham for you. Some of you have lost children, either uh, their lives or you've lost, their, uh, you've lost them to other faiths or no faith at all. 
In other words, you've got an awful lot of life, that, uh, Abraham, that you've lost. But I want to say to you, you've got an awful lot of life to live. What do you do when you have lost your Abraham? Well, Isaac lost his Abraham, his own father. And when uh, he encountered God in Genesis chapter 26, what he found is that the God who showed himself greatly and powerful to Abraham showed himself in the same way to him, to Isaac. And that's what we find in Genesis chapter 26, beginning in verse 1. Now, back in Genesis 25, Abraham has passed away in verses 7 and 8. And after that death, God picks it up in Genesis 26, beginning in verse 1. There was a famine in the land, besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, and Gerar. Then the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give these lands, and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. You may have lost an Abraham, but after you've lost an Abraham, God is still the same God he was the day you had him. Nothing of God has ever changed. Listen, nothing important has changed with God. God is the same God today on a worse day as he was on your best day. He's the same God. Always has been, always will be, and your best days have not yet been lived. God does not do a great work and then a decreasing work or a lesser work. With God, it's on way, always on way, onward, upward, forward. He does not retreat. He does not hesitate. He does not return in the sense of defeat. God is always doing a greater work. In John 14, 12, Jesus said, And greater works than these you shall do. And that's the statement of the Savior. You have not lived your best days yet. The best is yet to come even after you have lost your Abraham. God is still the same God. And there, so well, what does it mean for God to still be the same God after you've lost your Abraham? Well, it means this. It, may, it means you may have the same task. God can give you the same task. And that's what we find in verses 1 through 5 of Genesis chapter 26. Now, William Carey, the shoe cobbler from Moulton, England launched the World Missions Movement in 1792. This is a bit of history every serious Christian should know, and it's instructive. Now, that was remarkable because not only did he not have a university degree, not being admitted to it because he was not of the Church of England, but a Baptist, but um, William Carey uh, also was exceptionally poor, and uh, William Carey was dealing with a theological environment that was very much against making efforts to get the gospel to the world. Uh, there were in that day hyper-Calvinists, and uh, they were Calvinists who were high-Calvinists or hyper-Calvinists who objected to sharing the good news with lost people. And they said, it, in fact, it's cruel to do so. 
You know, back then they twisted compassion just like this generation does. They said lost people are incapable of believing, so why be so cruel to them in this life and offering them something they cannot embrace? And so you never ever just indiscriminately shared the gospel with other people, despite what Jesus and the apostles did. Instead, you waited, the hyper-Calvinist said, you waited to see if there was some kind of indication in the lost person that God was working with them, and that gives you a warrant, that gives you an excuse, that gives you a justification for sharing the faith in them. So if they express some interest in the Bible, if they ask questions about the Savior, if they make the first move and indicate that they are open to the gospel, then it's okay to share the gospel, but you've got to wait for them to show some sign of it. Now let me go into a rabbit hole for just a minute. There's not a one of us here who embraces or believes in hyper-Calvinism, but nearly every Southern Baptist practices it. Oh, yes. Instead of sharing the gospel like we're commanded to do, go preach the gospel to every creature in Mark 16, 16, 15, make disciples of all nations. Instead, we look back at lost people and see if they're open and we see if they're, try to see if they're, uh, there's some kind of indication that they're interested. And only when they indicate that, when we share the gospel. We don't believe in hyper-Calvinism, but we sure do practice it. The Bible says the sign that God is working with a lost person is that someone is sharing the gospel with them. Every time you open your mouth with the good news of Jesus Christ, God intervenes and he begins to work with that lost person, bringing that person to Christ. Don't wait for them to show any interest. Some of them are too shy. Some of them are too... um, um, Uh, Some of them are just too unaware and naive about these things to know. God is already working with them through the birth of Christ and through the death of Christ and the conviction of the Spirit. They don't know what's going on. They don't know enough to give you a sign that they're open. Open your mouth and share the gospel anyway because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, Romans 10, 17. And so the sign that God is working is that one of us is sharing the gospel. There's your sign. That's what you need. Well, William Carey was dealing with that, and uh, he had to take a stand with that. Um, And he made an argument to them. They said, well, the Great Commission was merely for the apostles. It was for the apostles. And William Carey quoted the Great Commission. Uh, Quote it with me. Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, what the hyper-Calvinist said is that go make disciples of all nations, the apostles fulfilled in their day, and, and that command was only for them. And William Carey said, well, if that's the case, is baptism only for them? Is teaching only for them? Is the presence of Christ only for them? You know something? Spiritual people, even preachers, can get really, really mistaken in their understanding of the Scripture. They really can. And they sound spiritual about it, too. And they can justify it with all sorts of religious talk, even the language of the New Testament. So if the Great Commission was only for the apostles, then baptism was only for the apostles. We have no business baptizing. If it's only for the apostles, then we have no business teaching. If it's only for the apostles, we have no hope and expectation that Jesus will be with us. 
What a bizarre way of thinking. Everything in the Word of God points us in a different direction. If, if the presence of Christ is for today, if teaching is for today, if baptism is for today, then going and making disciples of all nations is for today. We have the same mission that they did. And Isaac discovered he had the same mission as Abraham, his father. That's what he found in verses 1 through 5. He said, don't go down to Egypt. Prioritize the promised land. Abraham obeyed me. I want you to obey me as well. And that's what Isaac found in verses 1 through 5. Um, here in this text, we find the same language given to Isaac that God gave to Abraham. All nations, your descendants, multiplication, sands of the sea, stars of the heaven that God gave to Abraham in Genesis 12 and 15 and 17. And here he is now transferring this and delivering the same mission and the same promise of the mission to Isaac. And beloved, that is precisely what God has done with this people today. We have the identical mission as Carrie McDonough, who went to Mosul, um, uh, Iraq a number of years ago to share uh, the gospel of Christ and meet human needs and had her fingers blown off by machine guns by Muslim terrorists. And she's headed back to that same place in the earth. Uh, we've got the same mission as Jim Elliott, who said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. We've got the same mission as Bill Wallace, who gave himself in China. We have the same mission as the Lottie Moons and the Annie Armstrongs. We, we have the same mission, ladies and gentlemen, as William Carey. And we've got the same mission as the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul and Thomas who took the gospel to India. We have the same mission uh, as Jesus Christ who came to seek and to save that which was lost. It's the same mission and thank God we've got the same God to go with us. We've got the same mission. And so after your Abraham leaves, you still have a work to do. You are still needed. It's time to rise up and claim it and move forward with God, no matter what your loss. And if you, are, if you have suffered some kind of loss, you are especially in a position to minister and serve. A.W. Tozer said, it's very difficult for God to use someone greatly who he's not broken deeply. If you've been broken by loss, you're in the perfect position to get the attention of the world and invite them to turn to the Savior who's got you through and walk with you every step of the way. Well, the same mission, the same work, uh, the same task. We, you may have the same task. God will give it to you. But then you also may have the same trust. Now, I don't think Abraham was very careful with some of his decisions. In fact, the text makes it clear in Genesis 12 and 20 that he lied a couple of times anytime he got afraid. He lied about his relationship status with Sarah in Genesis 12 and 20. And here in Genesis chapter 26, Isaac does the same thing. Precisely the same thing. That's why we've got to be very, very careful with our choices as parents and grandparents and as a church family because there are a bunch of kids who are watching us. Uh, we, we may not realize it. We may not appreciate it. It may not dawn on us. But quite frankly, the vast majority of adults are heroes to kids. And they watch our behavior. And they are like and apt to repeat our mistakes and oftentimes completely miss our good example. That's just the way the human nature is. That's exactly how it is. And that's precisely what happened to Isaac in verses 6 through 12. And despite 
his sin in verse number 7, saying that um, Rebekah was his sister. Look what God did in verse number 12. Then Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. Now, God did not bless him because of his sin. God blessed him despite his sin. And this is what God did with him because Isaac trusted God. You can have the same trust. You know something? Um, the only choice God has in saving people and using them are sinners. There's nobody else. There's no one else to save besides sinners. There's no one else to use besides sinners. If you are a sinner, and the Bible teaches we all are, then quite frankly, there's hope for you if you'll humble yourself before God and will trust Him. You can be saved, and you can be used just like Isaac was. There is no more option. And let me say to you, God is so gracious that whenever you repent and turn to Jesus Christ, whenever you make things right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, listen to me, afterwards, you're going to have more of a problem with your sins than God does. He eliminates them. He erases them. He treats you as if you had never sinned before. And that's what he did with Isaac in verse number 12. That's how God treats humble sinners who turn to him. And God has a remedy for every sin. And you've got to understand that. So don't let that discourage you. Let it humble you. Let it make you dependent upon God. Let it, uh, let it inflame your passion for him so that you can walk in holiness, consistency, integrity. Let it do that. But do not become so discouraged by sin that you give up on God. That's precisely what the devil wanted from you in the first place. Don't let him get a victory. But God has a remedy for every sin. But you've got to understand, there's one exception to that. And that is the sin of rejecting the remedy. God will never forgive that. The only remedy is the death and resurrection of Christ and faith in it. Without that, there's no remedy, there's no hope. So you've got to be very intense. And you've got to be very urgent to understand and to act upon turning yourself to Jesus Christ. In other words, don't just go through today in the invitation after the sermon like you have so many other times. Don't let it pass. This is your opportunity for God to make things right with his law and holiness by bringing you into Jesus Christ because you've repented and placed faith in him. Make up your mind. One preacher said, if you don't make up your mind, your unmade mind will unmake you. You see, God won't unmake you. God's trying to put it all back together. Um, God, God is perfectly prepared. God is perfectly ready. God has perfectly arranged things to make you right with him by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. All that waits is for you to repent and place faith in Jesus Christ. Everything in heaven is prepared. God has to do nothing else, and that is true for you whether you're a child, you're a middle schooler, you're a high schooler, college student, a single, married, young adult, married, uh, middle adult, older adult, no matter who you are, God is ready to save and to cleanse if you'll have the same faith and trust that all those that surround you have had in Jesus Christ, God can make it right. And is it not a wonderful thing that all he requires is real faith in Jesus Christ? Hey, just imagine, just imagine if it was anything else by faith. Uh, well, what if it happened to be giving? Well, half the people of the world live on less than $2 a day. They'd be excluded if it happened to be by giving. 
Uh, What if it was by meditation and concentration on spiritual things? Well, all the ADD and ADHD people would be excluded. There'd be no hope for them. Well, what if it were by reading the Bible and uh, understanding everything in the Bible? Well, all the illiterate people would be excluded. Well, what if it were by some, well, what if it was by morality and virtue? Well, what about all the people that don't have any, which is frankly the whole world? They'd all be excluded. It's not by giving. It's not by concentration. It's not by meditation. It's not by reading. It's not by holy knowledge. It is by faith, and the whole world can do that, even you. Anyone can believe. Anyone can embrace Jesus Christ. Anybody can repent. Anyone can change their mind. Anyone can turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and trust Him and give their hearts and lives to Him. And I hope you'll do that at the end of this message because Isaac had the same trust as his father Abraham. And so you may have, had, you may have suffered great loss and there's an empty place in your life, in your heart right now. God wants to fill it with His Son Jesus. And may I say to you, there's no one better to do it than Him. None better. The same trust. But then... You may also have, in the third place, the same treasure. Look at verses 13 and 14. The man, Isaac, began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. And, predictably, so the Philistines envied him. Well, the result was that they gave him trouble and they would take any of the water wells that he dug for his family and his herds. That's what picks up here in verse 22. He finally uh, found a place to dig a well after moving. And look what it says in verse 22. And you may recognize some of the Hebrew words here. And he he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. Finally, the Philistines gave him some rest. So he called its name Rehoboth, because he said, For now... The Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. You know, always pay attention to the dialogue in the Bible. It's oftentimes the point of the text. God made room for Isaac in the promised land, and he called it Rehoboth. That's what Rehoboth means. There's room for me, and today may be your Rehoboth, because in Jesus Christ, there's room for you. He had the same treasures as his father. In fact, in chapter 24... Abraham gave everything he had to Isaac, all of his possessions. And so Isaac inherited everything uh, that his father possessed. Uh, In our day and in ancient days, someone would pass away and their will would be executed, implemented. It would be followed. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 16 and 17 says, Jesus Christ has died and his will has now been applied, executed. It's been implemented. And Jesus Christ is the inheritor of all things, and Jesus Christ is now giving it all away. And His riches are unsearchable. There is no end to all of His wealth. And that's what Jesus Christ does in this day. Romans eight seventeen says of those who know Christ that we are sons of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. It is Christ's desire to make us wealthy in the things that he owns and that he possesses. Colossians chapter 2 verses 9 and 10 says, All the fullness of deity dwells in Christ in bodily form, and you are complete in him. 
Second Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 says three remarkable things about every believer. Uh, Peter says there that we have been given a like precious faith in verse 1. In other words, our faith is just as precious as the faith of uh, Peter and Paul and the first century apostles. It is a like precious faith. It is an equally valued faith before God. God respects our faith. God values our faith in Jesus Christ as much as he does any apostle. And then verse number three says, we've been given everything pertaining to life and godliness. And what's not everything? We've been given everything that is pertaining to life and godliness. Anything that would promote uh, real life in Jesus Christ, anything that would promote godliness, God has made available to every child of God. And then verse number four says, we obtain that by great and precious promises. In other words, God's put his name on the line. God has said, I'm going to promise this to you like I did Abraham and like I did Isaac. In other words, once you begin to explore and understand the blessing of God on those who come to Jesus Christ, friends, there is no end to it at all. A like precious faith, everything pertaining to life and godliness, and great and precious promises, complete in Him, the Bible says. Every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Uh, daily, Psalm 69, 19, daily he loads our lives with benefits. Ladies and gentlemen, you've never met anyone as gracious and generous as the God and Father of Jesus Christ. And you get in on it when you turn to Jesus Christ. You're lacking in nothing when you come to him. God is wealthy and generous enough to supply everything that you need. Therefore, listen to me carefully. Therefore, you can afford to risk on him. You can take a risk. Now, it's hard to do that in this world financially. It's hard to take a risk without there actually being no risk. But when you risk on God, it's not a risk with God. Oh, no. It's not a risk uh, with God at all. God's made you secure. God has made you stable. And so, whether it happens to be turning from a shameful life, and turning to the will of God this morning. Whether it happens to be saying no to a future in the United States and going to the mission field. Whatever it happens to be, you can afford to take a risk. Churches can afford to take risks. Churches can afford to take risks in ministry. Churches can afford to take risks with buildings. Uh, churches can afford to take risks with projects. All because God has made, God has made, a level of blessing that will never, ever vanish. You may risk for God, but it's not a risk with God. God has made everything stable when it comes to his blessing and provision. Same treasure. Remarkable thing is what the biblical text teaches. And so you can risk with God. Now, um, there is a statistical measurement of baseball players that is... Um, uh, somewhat difficult to explain, but it's their value compared to the average replacement player. If an average replacement player were to take their place, they measure that player and how many more games he would win above an average replacement player. Now, Hank Aaron is number two in the world. I was surprised. I thought he'd be number one. He was remarkable, just a tremendous offensive powerhouse, even without all the home runs. But the number one, number one player with that statistic is Babe Ruth. And he had 713 home runs. Remarkable player. I think that above the average replacement player, 
he won 180 plus more games than the average replacement player would have ever won. Do you know he struck out 1,300 times? You've got to be willing to take a risk on God if you want to swing for the fence. And you know something today? We don't talk about Babe Ruth's strikeouts. We talk about the man's home runs. The same is true with Henry Aaron. Now, I think he struck out a whole lot less. He was a tremendous hitter. But um, the truth is, is that, uh, to use another baseball analogy, you will never steal second base by keeping your foot on first. It doesn't work that way. Let me ask you something. Is God trustworthy? Then what risk are you going to take on him? Same treasure. Same trust. Same task, but there's a fourth thing, and that happens to be the same touch. In verses 26 through 34, you've got the remarkable story in Abraham's life that really happened to Abraham in the same way back in Genesis chapter 20. And that is, a king, they, they give him the name Abimelech, that's more his title than it is his name. But Abimelech comes to Abraham with his... Um, uh, his um, uh, joint chiefs of staff of the military, FICOL. And they sit down with him and they are so amazed at his power, his reputation, his wealth, they want to make peace with him before anything breaks loose and breaks out. Now, do you understand what that would be like? That would be like the president of the nation of Iran coming to our chairman of the deacons and saying, I don't want to mess with you. Would you please make peace with us? And by the way, Knowing our deacons, that'd be a good idea. All right? <laughs> but that's what this is like. A private citizen with so much power, so much strength, so many servants, such skill, such capability, and another nation wants to make peace with him. That's what happens beginning in verse number 26. And the result is, is that they end up having peace. George W. Truett was the pastor of First Baptist Church, Dallas, Texas, uh, until about 1947, uh, 1944. He's the pastor there 47 years. And the Dallas City Council would not make a move that he thought would be controversial until they consulted with him first. George Truett, with just his voice in a sentence, could change everything related to the Dallas City Council. Hey, how do you get that power? I'd like to have that. I sure would. But that's exactly what they would do. And so... Sunday sales, they wouldn't do anything with that as far as local ordinances till they checked with Truett. And other things, other measures and other means. And that's what you've got going on in this text, beginning in verse number 26. There is power, there's authority in the man of God here in this text. And so this is what takes place with Isaac. It's the same thing that happened with Abraham. Ladies and gentlemen, you and I can have the same touch if we'll follow God and trust Him. Deuteronomy 33, 25, the Lord promised Moses in Israel. Something remarkable. And you need to understand the Bible doctrine of proportion. God measures things and um, blesses folks in proportion. And it says in um, Deuteronomy 33, 25, As your days, so shall your strength be. So God measures all your days. And he says, well, they've got this many days. And so that's how much strength I'm going to give to them. And not one bit of strength less. If you've got 10,000 days left, God doesn't give you 999,000 days of strength. 
God gives you 10,000. Listen to me. Oh, child of God, listen to me. If you know Jesus and if you're walking with Him, you're going to find God is going to give you everything you need to serve Him. And you're not going to lack in one place if you'll trust Him. If you'll trust Him. And as a result, you can have the same impact, the same touch as those who came before you, especially the Abraham that you lost. John McFerrin was a pastor, illustrious of another age. And he was sick and he was near the end of his life. His son was a preacher as well and he was itinerant. He traveled and preached around the nation. And he had a preaching assignment one weekend and he was afraid to go. He was afraid to go because he thought he might lose his father while he was gone. And he went to visit with his father before he left and was really wanting his dad to talk him out of going because he really didn't want to go. He wanted to be there when his father passed. And his father sensed that. And he said, son, listen, I am safe and secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. You go on, and if I'm not here when you get back, you'll know where to find me. May I ask you to do something? Would you make sure today that when you're gone, we know where to find you? Would you do that today? Would you make sure your sweet wife knows where to find you? Would you make sure your parents know where to find you? Would you make sure your husband knows where to find you when you're gone? Isaac did. Some of you do as well. You know where to find them. But what do I have to do? Acts 26, 20 says, Paul preached repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. To repent means you divorce whatever's keeping you from Jesus. What's keeping you from Jesus? Are you proud? Do you have any faith in your virtue and righteousness? You think you're going to make it because you, you've worked on it? That's pride. That's self-righteousness. You've got to count that as loss and set that aside. You feel like you don't need it because none of this is true. That's unbelief. You've got to set that aside. You're afraid? You've got to set that aside. God has no respect for fear. You've got to set that aside. And look, look at us. I'm just a big level of a fuzzball, and you're surrounded by people like that. What are you afraid of? Get over it. Knock it off. Set aside the fear. Set aside the fear. Put it away. What's keeping you from Jesus? Reject it. Divorce it. Set it aside. That's repentance. It's kind of like, um, it's kind of like um, going to a formal occasion, a wedding or some kind of uh, gala or celebration, and you stand in front of the mirror and you notice there's a spot on your clothes. Right? And it's not the kind of clothing you can take a toothbrush, water, and a little soap and clean it out with. You know what I mean? And so you change. You take off what's dirty, and you're willing to put on something clean. That's what God is calling you to do today. He's saying what you're wearing before Him is dirty. It's time to remove it. Not literally. It's time to remove it and put on something clean. And you've got to trust that what He's giving you is clean. That it will make you right with Him. And may I say to you, what God's trying to give you is nothing less than Jesus Christ Himself. And if you'll trust this morning that he is acceptable to God, you can be saved. You can be saved. Repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Others of you have made that decision. But hey, it's time to follow him in baptism. It's time to give yourself to him. Others of you, it's time to become part of the church. You need to join the church. I'll say to you, if you know Christ and you've not joined a church, you're going to struggle spiritually. Everyone does. There's no one, no one, no one who doesn't struggle when they do not have a local church where they are a member. God calls you. Romans chapter 12 uses the word member often and frequently. There's a great spiritual bond that takes place. You need to come join as well. It could be also God speaking to your heart about the mission field. It's time to come. It's time to risk on God. It's not a risk with God, but it's a risk on God. And He's calling you. If He's calling you, you come. Let's quickly stand together, please. Let me pray, and we're going to ask you to come. Father, thank you in Jesus' name for the opportunity to say yes to Him, because there's no one better.